This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Con Podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Jerkins, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Hello and welcome to the Batman Universe Economist Podcast for the weeks of July 14th through the 31st. Our fearless leader, Dustin, is on vacation right now, so we're going to soldier on without him. This is Ian. This is Steph. And this is Chris. Chris has kindly agreed to rejoin us as our guest host for our comics podcast today, and we're very grateful to him. He um, can be found on Batgirl's Oracle in his Batman 66 and Nightwing Shipper special, and also on the Bat Books for Beginners with Jerry, um, providing excellent service to new Bat fams on what kinds of stories they can expect from the works that were published before the New 52. And they're currently in the middle of the Batman Reborn area. Definitely recommend that. So let's get into our news. We had a lot of news because San Diego Comic-Con hit during the interim between the last episode and this episode. The first piece of news is that we're getting some Tales from the Dark Multiverse. Um, the first issue uh, related to Batman is going to be um, Nightfall, in which Azrael continues to be Batman, and Batman never retakes the cowl. So that'll be really interesting. It'll be written by um, Kyle Higgins, with supervision by Scott Snyder, who created the Dark Multiverse in last year's Metal crossover. Um, I'm really excited for these because uh, Lee Weeks, one of my very favorite artists, is doing the covers for at least uh, Nightfall and the second announced title, uh, which is The Death of Superman. Uh, we won't obviously be covering Death of Superman, but uh, Weeks is doing both covers. I hope he does all the covers. There's also been issues of um, Blackest Night, um, and a couple other of uh, seminal stories that are going to be uh, reimagined from the Dark Multiverse. Um, the art for uh, Nightfall is going to be done by Javier Fernandez, best known for his work with Tim Seeley on Nightfall. And he also did a short arc with James Tynan on Detective Comics. He's very inventive, so that's a pretty cool choice of artist for Tales from the Dark Multiverse Nightfall. What do you guys think about it? It definitely sounds interesting, and I like I like the freedom that this gives writers to take stories that they couldn't go, especially in an ongoing where everything has to have a wrapped up, neat bow, happy ending. Batman survives, life continues. So it is cool to have the freedom of 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 these multiverse stories that can definitely take you to new places and tell new stories that they've never been able to tell before, and maybe 
I mean, it's kind of like writing fan fiction of your favorite story and then changing little things and making it whatever you wanted it to be. So it's it'll be it'll be very interesting, especially for a generation like me who maybe have, you know, we definitely missed it the first time and then getting a, a new new take on it. I like seeing something that has a 48-page uh, count with a book, and I don't mind shelling out something that's five ninety nine with it particular uh, content. So I would like something that's a little thicker, a little more meat on the bone, as they say. So I am looking forward to this. And as you said, Ian, uh, Lee Weeks covers, my gosh, I, I just uh, looked at the first one here. Very striking and beautiful, so I, I can't wait. Uh, I, I had a little more... Mm, pause perhaps as 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 you did but uh after seeing uh, the advanced solicit uh I, I think this is something I'm, i am going to enjoy more than i initially anticipated the next news story we have is that uh warren ellis famous for a lot of his creator owned and alternate universe science fiction type stuff um like injection recently um is doing a batman miniseries called the batman's grave with art by a uh, very superstar artist brian hitch who's also done some writing on things like justice league um the last time we saw ellis do batman was in the detective comics 1000 story um in which he takes on a group of criminals in a warehouse that he sort of set up as a criminal trap there and he ends um sort of convincing the criminal to um Surrender without having to to kill himself, um, and that was with art by Becky Clunan. So he obviously is one of those writers who's able to work with a lot of really high quality artists. Um, the uh, the the Batman story I'm most familiar with Warren Ellis on is actually Planetary Batman, which is a crossover with his science fiction series Planetary, in which the main characters from that series actually travel with um, an alternate universe Bruce Wayne who goes through. Uh, all the different universes. So it starts with like the original Batman. No, actually, I think he, he jumps around in time, but he hits the original Batman. He hits Batman 66. He hits the Dark Knight Returns Batman. He hits the 90s Batman. Um, and it was a really touching and inventive look at the history of Batman from sort of a multiversal perspective. I'm personally hoping that's more what we're going to get because I didn't like the Detective Comics 1000 story that much. It wasn't terrible, but... Um, what do you guys think about the Batman's grave with these two really uh, popular talents on it? I've got some mixed feelings about it. Uh, Warren Ellis has never been quite in my wheelhouse. Ian, as you said, uh, the Planetary series was a unique take on this character. I am holding reserved judgment. Uh, what scares me not so much as the creative team as is the duration of this book. I, I know it's like going to be a 12 issue miniseries, three ninety nine. I don't know if that's too much Batman on my plate. Dare I say that uh, <laughs> with respect to this, I don't know if this is going to have a lot of uh, gas in the tank to hold my interest for a whole 12 issues. That said, I am going to definitely give this a try and I'll be on board for the first uh, three or four to see where it goes. And hopefully knock on wood, this is going to sustain my interest throughout the whole run of the series and not just be something that, uh, has a beginning textbook, middle and an end. Uh, Warren Ellis, uh, I sort of have a love hate with, uh, some of this stuff, it can be very imaginative, but some of this stuff just is not my, not particular, uh, cup of tea, if you will. Well, as a newbie, I'm pretty unfamiliar with both of them, but, um, I do, tend to gravitate towards character-driven stories more and and emotional-based stories more. So if this is based on Alfred mostly and what he does, I feel like this is something that I would be more drawn to, but with it being more emotional-based, it can go really 
either cheesy or boring really quickly. So, yeah, definitely for a maxi would have to have some kind of depth and good story to it to be interesting. So hopefully it's a little bit more than just Alfred visits the graves every week. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a great take on that. Um, Let's move on to TBU by the numbers. Um, Steph, do you have any comments on our uh, excellent roundup that you did of the different sales numbers? Yeah, so uh, we, I recently put out an article about the June numbers. July numbers have not been released yet. Um, Red Hood's struggle buses <laughs> through. Uh, gosh, uh, the numbers, uh, 1800s, it's just constantly going down. Hopefully with Artemis and Bazaar coming back, the the nice, the fr- comfort, I don't know what the word is, just the awesome dynamic that they had before will be back hopefully um, because it's kind of been floundering lately and then uh, one thing I put on the numbers that confused people (laughs) was they couldn't understand why last night on earth did so poorly well no these were the reorder numbers and the reorder numbers beat the socks off of Batman Beyond which is keeps going for some reason with no changes to this like it's at just under 1500 or 15,000 a month which is well in the cancellation zone for an ongoing book. Like, I don't know why they keep going the way they go. And it's not very exciting. They tried throwing Joker in there for a little while, but that didn't, that didn't really help. And then Super Sons, I guess, ended last month, not, not in June, but that one was also going really sad. But uh, Deceased was doing really good. The number two issue had 150000 which is really good for a number two. And it's also really awesome. Um, let's see. Event Leviathan is doing okay for something that they were kind of hyping up. It actually didn't even hit 75,000. So that was a little, I don't know, little low ball. I think but. we have a problem with DC trying to run too many events at the same time, though. Yeah. Yeah, probably. But Deceased is where it belongs, which is on the top. It was the number two selling for the second issue, and it's just really good. Batman Damned did pretty good. It's actually, it went down a little in sales, but all things considered, that one stayed very, very high. Um, Probably because people want the whole set so they can sell a first edition set. (laughs) (laughs) I hate to say it because, I mean, I think I skimmed through the second one. I didn't even bother reading the third one. Uh, That was definitely not my cup of tea, but I'm glad it did. Glad it did decent. Uh, Yeah, so that were some of the highlights. Oh, Batman Who Laughs did pretty good. Almost 100,000. But it's going down in readership. Well, but it's almost... I mean, it ended this month, which we'll talk about, so... Yeah, we will. Um, how did uh, the main series do? Uh, Batman's top ten, barely. There, he's That one's going down a little bit. I guess 73 did pretty good. 73 was back up in readership, because I think that was... Oh, that was the one with Tom, right? The first one with Thomas Wayne in the desert? I believe so. Yes, so that one was pretty good. That one, that one deserved to go up in sales. Um, Detective Comics is slowly going down since a thousand, um, but it's actually maintaining decently steady readership. Like it's going down a little bit, but not a lot. What was the some some books like Batman and the Outsiders are just like well, I guess that was an issue too. You can't ever expect issue twos to do too well compared to the first one. Oh it's yeah, unfair. Uh, Catwoman's going up. That's pretty good, and that one's keeping pretty steady readership. I, I do not understand that, but good for Catwoman. I don't, I don't understand it either. But yeah, for Catwoman, um, Harley Quinn is tanking. Oh no, I really <laughs> so love Harley, Harley Quinn's. 
Harley Quinn's heading into the the not the cancellation zone, but she's heading into the danger zone pretty quickly. That's a bummer, but um, and especially since, as we're going to talk about in the solicitations news item, Harley's one of the things DC's betting big on right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Speaking of which, our next news story is that they're relaunching the Birds of Prey. So the last time they relaunched it at the Rebirth um, as Batgirl and the Birds of Prey with the classic team of Barbara Gordon, Dinah Lance, um, the, the Black Canary, and Helena Bertinelli, the, um, the Huntress. Um, this time, Batgirl was Batgirl instead of Oracle, but she did have some connections to her Oracle run in the original Chuck Dixon and then Gail Simone runs, which was uh, enjoyable. It was a light and fun series. This one is by Brian Azzarello, with art by uh, Emanuela Lubacino, an Italian artist, who's one of my favorites. I'm very excited about seeing her on art. Um, the cast is going to be different this time. It's uh, Black Canary and Huntress. But uh, Harley is the third main member, at least advertised. There's some hints that maybe Barbara Gordon may be involved, but she's not being advertised as one of the main members, um, which is similar to the New 52 run. Actually, this this honestly feels a lot like the New 52, just in terms of marketing and Brian Azzarello being sort of that edgy type of writer who really goes for the dark and gritty. And I'm really confused about why they picked him, because he's not known for being able to write female characters well, unless you were a fan of his Wonder Woman, which I very much wasn't. I know it has its fans, but I I think it was very disrespectful to the legacy of Wonder Woman. So, um, I don't know if you guys are interested in Birds of Prey, but um, I'm excited for the relaunch, even if I am also a bit uh, hesitant. Is this the movie cast? Um, Shows you how much I'm paying attention to the movie, right? <laughs> it seems to be inspired by the movie cast because Huntress and Black Canary are both supposed to be in the movie, but there's, there's so many people who are supposed to be in the movie. I don't really know. Um, the inclusion of Harley does seem to be a connection to the movie, which is interesting because DC and Marvel haven't played the quote unquote synergy game for quite a while. Yeah. I'm, I was never a fan of Birds of Prey. I don't know. I haven't really I think I only started reading it when I started co-hosting, so I got the end of the last run. It was kind of like, bleh. Um, but, I don't know. I'll read it. We'll see how it goes. Ian, I agree with your sentiments. I, I have some uh, doubts with respect to uh, the characterization with Azarello and the female uh, characters in the cast. I am a little intrigued, though, with the inclusion of uh, Renee Montoya that's going to be in this series. So I am inclined to go along with stuff that they are incorporating mo- most of the uh, movie cast in this book. So mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm sort of uh, cautiously optimistic is the best words I, I can have to the table. Um, <laughs> I always think a Birds of the Prey book should be on, on the shelf in the comic store. Uh, this has always done well at my local comic shop who want comics with good, strong female characters. And I'm I'm looking forward to it, but some reservations with respect to the writing on this. So we'll see what happens. Absolutely. And uh, Steph, if you ever are interested, I would strongly recommend the, the Gail Simone run of Birds of Prey, starting at issue number 56 and running to issue number 108. It's a self-contained run, so you don't have to read the, the before and after stuff. And it's just one of the best character developments. Um, uh, it starts with the characters sort of at odds, and they have a lot of conflict, and then they grow into um, a really tight-knit team. And it's it's 
incredibly impressive and it's been rarely equaled. Um, so that, that's also to any Batman fan. It's a really great Batman family book uh, with Oracle and Huntress and Black Canary is sort of an outsider to the Bat family, but she's a close friend of the other two. I'll also say as a female looking through some of these pictures of the art, I, I hate to sound like a prude, but I love how covered up the girls are. <laughs> like Huntress is just full on, like fully covered. Like she's almost wearing too much. Like I'd be afraid about her catching her robe on something. And Harley's really taken a step back from how they've been trying to over-centralize her. And she's actually wearing a full-on t-shirt. She doesn't even have cleavage. And then you got Black Canary that even though she's wearing her, you know, her fishnets and, and bustier, like, it's still fairly... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not conservative. <laughs> Definitely not. But And not even really modest, but it's tasteful. That's the word I'm looking for. It's decently tasteful. Like, I, I like that. Like... You know, women arm, women fighting crime, you know, can't afford to have their boobs hanging out. Like, that's not functional. <laughs> um, so I appreciate the, the touch to the art of making it a little more realistic to women crime fighters. That is something that um, a lot of people did comment about the original runs, especially when Gail Simone started, because she was working with Brazilian artist Ed Benes, um, who is... Brazilian. Shall we say known for his... Uh, <laughs> swimsuit issue style <laughs> costume choices. Um, I I think that, and Gail Simone has consistently defended Benis's, his drawing, and I, I think that she has a really good point in terms of his acting. His ability to draw the emotions for his female characters and his male characters is very strong. But he also is very much of the sort of cheesecake style. So I would encourage people to to work through the art and, and look for the, the expressions and the, the connections between the characters rather than necessarily... Um, I, I, I acknowledge that he is drawing in a very cheesecake way. So um, it, it, it's a different time. Jim Lee designed those costumes, and we kind of had to go with it. Um, <laughs> moving along, um, we had the Eisners at San Diego Comic-Con, and Tom King, our Batman writer, won big. Unfortunately, he didn't win for Batman, in my opinion. I love his Batman. But he did win a lot, along with Mitch Garrett's for Mr. Miracle. Um, I mentioned this back in the episode when we did the nominations, which I think I also actually uh, was running that time, Dustin taking another well-deserved vacation at that time, and Dustin Duen won uh, Best, I believe, Multimedia Artist for his work on Descender and Ascender with Jeff Lemire. Um, I'm a huge fan of Dustin Nguyen. As a Batman artist, he did a great run with Paul Dini, and then he moved on to Streets of Gotham. Sorry, a great detective comics run with Paul Dini, and he moved on with Paul Dini to Streets of Gotham. He also did some excellent issues and covers for Stephanie Brown's Batgirl run, um, and he did Lil Gotham, which I'm really looking forward to coming back. I believe next summer is the planned release date for that. Um, so... Um, Eisners are always fun. They unfortunately don't usually reflect great sales, but they usually get a trade boost. So um, Tom King is probably going to be still a hot item going forward, which is sad for you if you hate his stuff, but it's good for you if you're like me and think he's great. Um, then we have the announcement of a Halloween holiday anthology. Um, this is just another one of those 80-page giants, which I've enjoyed. Um some, I mean, unevenly, they, they sometimes get some some less interesting stories. But on the whole, I think it's a fun idea to have one uh, sort of a holiday-themed anthology every quarter of the year. 
Um, this one is the, the Halloween quarter. So we're getting a red rain and that's the famous Batman elsewhere story where Batman is a vampire. So that's pretty cool. Um, hopefully the art won't be by Kelly Jones or someone who's <laughs> copying Kelly Jones. Um, but, uh, I guess we'll wait and see. Kelly Jones is still working and he got a piece in detective comics a thousand. So maybe they'll go for that again. Um, uh, and the last one is our solicitations for October. Um, we got an announcement of the Batman Annual Number 4. Um, that's going to be written by Tom King with art by Jorge Fornes and Lee Weeks, which is a truly incredible combination. Jorge Fornes and Lee Weeks have been my favorite artists of Tom King's um, during his Batman run. And I am just thrilled that he's getting uh, an annual. This is probably his last annual um, since he did a story in the first annual. Uh, that was Good Boy, for which he won an Ar- Eisner with David Finch. Uh, he did the annual number two, which was the Batman Catwoman uh, sort of future story. Well, it was past and future. And then uh, the number three was actually completely written by Tom Taylor. It was a nice little Batman Alfred Father's Day story. I really like that one. Um, but this one's going to be all Tom King. And I'm hoping that, like the annual number two, it's very thematically connected to what he's doing. Now, I just listened to a podcast uh, interview, uh, Word Balloon. I know Tony uh, likes to uh, listen to those. I know a lot of other other listeners also listen to that. I highly recommend it. And Tom King said it's going to have space. So Batman's going to be in space wearing a helmet. Um, And that's all we know. But it should be wacky and fun and hopefully uh, wistful and elegiac like the other Tom King Lee Weeks collaborations we've gotten. Uh, We're also getting an interesting thing we got a solicitation for some of November's covers uh, because they're doing a special program. These are called acetate covers. Um, that means you have two layers. You have the main cover, and then over that is a clear layer with painting on top of it. So it actually changes the image when you open it up. Um, David Finch, who hasn't been doing interiors but has been doing several colors for DC recently, is doing two specific covers, one for Batman, in which you see um, Thomas Wayne sort of puppeteering Bane, which I think is really interesting. I don't know if it's necessarily directly what we're going to see, but I think it is probably hinting at something that's going to happen in Batman. And then Catwoman, you have Catwoman looking in the mirror, and in one of the covers, she's looking at the hero. So you have uh, Batwoman and Red Robin and Spoiler, um, and then you open it, I believe, and you see the villains. So that's sort of showing her dual nature. And I really appreciate that David Finch is doing this kind of really thoughtful look um, at the characters in his covers. Um, I used to be more skeptical of David Finch, but uh, I met him at uh, Comic-Con this year, uh, Baltimore Comic-Con. No, sorry, Awesome Con. And he was just really sweet, and so it made me took another, take another look at his work, and I, I've been able to see more thoughtfulness and richness in his work, and so I really appreciate that he's doing these covers. We also have a solicitation for Batman Creature of the Night number uh, yay! four. Yay! <laughs> 11. I don't believe it. I don't think it's going to happen, but it is solicited. Oh, is this November? Um, no, is this August? October? I, I, don't I, I don't know if it's August. Uh, I don't know if it's October or November, but it's one of those two. But I don't believe it because it's been a year and we still don't have any. It's supposed to come out in um, January. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> um, so hopefully, I, I do hope for you guys that it happens. <laughs> I gave up on the series a long time ago. Um uh, we also have the solicitation for Harleen by Stjepan Sijic, a European artist who does really, really excellent art. And he's also a great storyteller. I've read some of his sort of romance um, comics that he's posted on his DeviantArt. Um, 
And this seems like it's very much going to be similar to that, but uh, more in the superhero universe. It's Black Label. It's going to be three issues. And it's uh, Harleen. It's the only Joker Harley project I'm actually looking forward to myself, um, just because of CJIC's involvement. Um, we also have solicitations for the new 100-page giant. So previously, these were being sold only at Walmart. These actually are going to be open to many places. Hopefully, they'll continue to sell them at Walmart. I really hope they don't lose that channel. But it'd be nice if we saw them in Target and, you know, your local grocery store as well. But it also will be available through your local comic store. They're still listed as $5. Hopefully, they keep that price point. Instead of a 12-page short story, they're going to have a 24-page new content story. Uh, now, we don't know if that's going to be multiple stories or if it's going to be one issue or what, but that's pretty cool that they think that these are worth spending the money to commission an entire full-length story. Um, we also have news that John, Mar John Romita Jr. is going to be doing interiors for Batman. So Tony Daniel was originally solicited to do the entirety of City of Bane with some interludes by Clay Mann for the Batman Catwoman stuff. But it looks like John Romita Jr. is going to be filling in with some of that stuff. So that's pretty exciting if you like John Romita. Um, and Joel Jones is actually coming back to Catwoman for writer and artist duty after a lot of fill-ins. Um, so that's pretty exciting. Hopefully it'll tie into City of Bane as we were promised. Um, so Chris and Steph, do you have any thoughts on our solicits? I hope. Yeah, I, go ahead, I was, Steph. I was going to say, I, I really do hope Creature of the Night comes out. I think 11 months is enough to come out with a late issue. <laughs> uh, Tell that to do. Uh, um, the Joker smile looks puke vomit gross. I probably will attempt to give that a look and then put it down. Well, notice how I said there was only one Joker <laughs> Harley thing I was interested in. I don't know anything with with the Catwoman storyline right now. I am terribly interested, and I'm I'm enjoying deceased in that cover. Oh my gosh, with Harley holding Damien and John's hands, and then underneath they're both just they're both. Oh, oh. I don't know why I like torturing myself, but that one looks really good because <laughs> they're my baby boys. Well, with Batman Creature of the Night, I think this is finally supposed to be the conclusion. I think this was only supposed to go four issues, and this would be mm -hmm. the final one. Mm -hmm. I, I honestly would have to give this a reread to start from the beginning, because I would be so lost if I was to uh, pick up this issue and uh, figure out where I was at. With respect to Harleen, yeah, uh, Sage's art is just magnificent, and this is one series that I can't wait to dive into. One of the more intriguing uh, those solicits uh, that I found was this uh, Joker Harley Criminal Sanity that's coming out by Cami Garcia, who recently did the... Uh, DC Inc. Raven story, and I was fortunate enough to uh, meet Miss Garcia at a local Chicago area book signing just to talk about the Raven project, and she seemed to really have a handle on the characters. And with respect to Criminal Sanity, I guess she's actually doing the deep dive. She has a consultant with uh, somebody who's actually an MD who's really into serial killers and consulting somebody who's a, fr a forensic psychiatrist and behavior analyst in a profiler with respect to the series. So I, I, I really appreciate somebody who does their homework with respect to a series. And if that's not enough, um, if you listen to, I got to pimp my other show, the professor frenzy show, we're huge <laughs> fans of the Gideon falls series. That's done by Jeff Lemire and 
art by Don Andreas Ortino, and uh, they got a new series coming out called The Joker Killer Smile, which is going to be coming out on October 30th, and this is going to be a three-issue series that's going to be five ninety-nine and 32 pages for mature readers at last, but it, it, it is going to be a very intriguing team to see their take on The Joker. Uh, Ian, like you, I, I get the... Uh, I presume you get the 100-page giants at Walmart. I do the same thing. What also impressed me, though, was the fact that they do have something of a larger lineup with this. I, I did see one solicit for a DC Villains giant. There's also a DC Superhero Girls giant, which I really would applaud to uh, see girls uh, get something for them and something for, like, an all-ages as well. And there's a little bit more of a horror vein, too, because there's a Swamp Thing and there's a DC Ghost giant, number one, as well. I'm a little taken aback because, as you, I do like that Walmart outlet. Uh, I've, I've gone in gotten the regular run of these series but what throws me off is i hate uh, when i saw an important note with respect to the solicit was that uh there's going to be like a reprint cover art on uh the ones that are going to be in the mass market but uh, in the comic shops they're going to have new cover art so i don't know does this create the uh, variant thing and now do you have uh collectors who obsess over having both versions are they going to still have to go to walmart for one and to the comic shop for the other so I can't wait to see how that pans out and uh, where that goes from here. And I don't know if they're just going to be totally, if this is just a reset for the Walmart books, are they going to stop their numbering and then reset everything with new number ones now? I'm I'm sort of led to believe that. So I'm curious to see how this pans out. I I really love the 100-page format, though. Yeah, I agree. I like the reprints because I only started collecting um, in the last 10 years, so a lot of the stuff in the reprints is stuff I didn't collect before. Um, and it's a really great value for a page. Uh, $5 for 100 pages is really good if you don't have most of this stuff already. Um, I I hope that we don't get more of... I actually hope that the comic shops getting exclusive art will take the pressure off the scalpers. Because I find that um, people will go to Walmart and buy like all the stuff they have and then put them immediately on eBay for a markup. And that really bothers me. Um, because I just want to go get my comics at Walmart, and I hope other people get them too, like new readers. And if people are just buying the whole run, that doesn't allow new readers to get it, kind of defeating the purpose. So I'm hoping that the local comic shops getting an exclusive thing will sort of... Um, decrease that pressure. Yeah, I've been fortunate in the Chicagoland area that I, I haven't really seen scalpers there. If anything, my, my issue is just basically the condition of the book once they once they reach the counter. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they've uh, really been banged up uh, quite a bit, and uh, it, it's kind of sad to see, so I'm kind of thumbing through them to get the best available copy. I, I will confess I did get an extra copy of the Swamp Thing uh, book, but that was for a friend who's, who tried to get uh, a book in the Dallas, Texas area that uh, he just couldn't find. Uh, Suddenly the Walmarts dried up, and he he would go to three stores, and he would strike out at each one to find his Swamp Thing. So I'd pick up an extra copy and send it to him, just just as that. But fortunately, I, I have not encountered anything with respect to scalpers in my immediate area. Well, that's good. I, I have a feeling that there's like two or three of them because I do. I actually started checking eBay f- to find out when the new ones were out because DC's really slow at announcing them. Um. And sort of this gives you a window into the minds of normal comic store people who are trying to get the Walmart stuff that doesn't have uh, direct distributor uh, announcements. So this is what we do to get our Walmart comics. Um, so uh, let us move along to our main reviews. So um, you can check out all these news stories and more on the website. And so we're going to start with our reviews, starting with Batman. Thank you. 
number 75, written by Tom King, artist Tony Daniel and Mitch Jarrett. Uh, this is City of Bane, Chapter 1. The rain falls on the caption later as a police car speeds through Gotham City with two detectives on their way to a crime scene. Funny thing about this scene is that the two detectives are the Joker and the Riddler. At the crime scene, two costume villains have been murdered by Two-Face. Joker and Riddler update the commissioner of police, Hugo Strange, who wastes no time in activating the back signal to summon Thomas Wayne, Flashpoint Batman. The story then cuts to a page of a lone figure in a parka hiking up a snowy mountain as the captions begin to tell a parable about a man and a horse. In the Batcave, Thomas Wayne tries to deduce how Two-Face could have taken down a pair of metahumans as his butler, the ventriloquist, looks on before racing off to one of Two-Face's safe houses. As Thomas leaves in the Batmobile, the screens on the Batcave computer distort to a hypnotic pattern as voiceover mocks the ventriloquist as being weak. The figure in the parka continues up an icy mountain staircase as the parable continues. The story then cuts to Two-Face's safe house, where Harvey meets with his two heavy hitters, Solomon Grundy and Amygdala, when they are interrupted by Thomas Wayne's Batman crashing through a wall in the Batmobile. Thomas faces off against them both as Thomas counts down to his sidekick, Gotham Girl, entering the fight. The figure makes his way to the top of the mountain to find a decaying old building. Gotham Girl faces off against Amygdala, throwing him around before using her laser vision to sever Amygdala's forearm and taking him out of the fight. Harvey puts a gun to his temple and threatens to blow his own brains out, which is foiled as Thomas throws a batarang through his eye. As the figure in the parka enters the building at the top of the mountain, a monk finishes the parable as the figure asks for the memory of the mountain, explaining he's a student. The monk proceeds to slash the figure in the neck with a knife as another hits the figure uh, behind with a crowbar. Thomas brings the injured Two-Face to Hugo Strange, who talks about how someone is going to be upset that Two-Face is injured. As the quote-unquote monk and his accomplice leave, talking about how the villain Magpire hired them, the figure is revealed to be Bruce Wayne, who is injured and lying naked in the snow. At Arkham Asylum, Two-Face is strapped to a chair facing a door. Meanwhile, Thomas Wayne returns to the Batcave and climbs the stairs to meet his dining companion. As another figure stands over Bruce's body in the snow, Two-Face is joined by Psycho Pirate, who says that he is going to cure him. Meanwhile, Thomas Wayne's dinner companion is revealed to be Alfred. Thomas makes reference to Gotham Girl standing guard against the other members of the Bat family, stating that the threat of what Thomas could do to Alfred should be enough to keep the Bat family away. Psycho Pirate puts his mask on and tells Two-Face about the love he will feel for Bane and his city as Alfred warns Thomas about what Bruce is going to do to him when he returns. As Bruce weakly mumbles about everything started on a boat, the figure standing over him is revealed to be Catwoman. And she says that it started on the street. The next page features the Joker and the Riddler at the Gotham Police Major Crime Unit using a captive Harvey Bullock as a dartboard and a drone watches from the window. The drone flies off as a conversation between Bane and Lex Luthor plays out, with Bane refusing an offer to join Lex Luthor's endeavors. The drone flies through a Gotham City featuring billboards stating that Gotham Girl is watching, 
as an old man pocketing an apple from a fruit stand is met by Professor Pig in a police uniform, as a similar scene plays out with other villains terrorizing the city, as the issue ends with a drone projecting a hologram of a cloaked figure, which is Lex Luthor, as Bane looks on. Whew! This was, as you can tell, an extra-length issue. Um, let's get right into our discussion. How do you like the opening of City of Bane? The opening was actually probably my least favorite part. Not because it wasn't cool, because it was actually, you know, very, like, it definitely jerks you in. It's like, what? Riddler and Joker are partners? Didn't they just spend the whole year being enemies? <laughs> um, but actually, the part that I didn't like about that was just that, you know, no one's going to tell Joker what to do. <laughs> Joker isn't going to be a cop. Well, he is if he's mind-controlled by psychopaths. That's true. Oh, okay. All right. I accept that then. <laughs> I was just like, you can't tell Joker what to do. Okay. I like it then. But yeah, it definitely pulled you in, and it's definitely not your mama's Gotham, right? Like, this is... If you weren't enjoying what was going before, like, this is completely different now, and it gives you an opportunity to look at this with a new a new mind, I guess. What do you think, Chris? Well, I thought this was a good opening chapter with the surrealism, topsy-turvy Gotham City, where Joker and Riddler work mm-hmm. together as police, and you have Hugo Strange as the commissioner. Uh, once again, Tom King makes me do my homework with the parable of the Chinese farmer, which is also called the, quote, uh, maybe parable. It was by an unknown author, and he incorporated it in the text with the scenes Bruce Tech trekking through the snow. Uh, I thought it was pretty interesting, and I thought this sounded quite familiar to me, so I had to do a little research, and I found that uh, scholar Alan Watt's interpretation of uh, Lao Tzu's teachings was to quote, with respect to the parable, was to quote, to try to live in such a way that nothing is either an advantage or a disadvantage. But others take it to mean, you know, well, quote, what may be bad news now may later be the best thing that ever happened. So I got to give props to Tom King for giving me something literal that I have to do some deep, deep diving on, as, uh, as I did when I was on with the previous show. I did like the shout-out to uh, Dick Sprang and early on. That was a nice touch when they had to go to uh, Dr. Double X's apartment. And for those who don't know or are familiar with the character, Dr. Double X was a villain that first appeared in Detective Comics number 261 way back in November 1958 in a story titled simply The Amazing Dr. Double X. Uh, for what it's worth, uh, the story was reprinted in the 1970s in Batman Family number 7 which also contained a, a cute original story with uh, uh, the Dick Grayson Robin and the Barbara Gordon Batgirl versus Huntress and the Sportsmaster, a husband and wife villain team. So it's worth seeking out if you can find that affordably. Uh, the character was created by Dave Wood, Sheldon Maldoff, and Bob Kane. And this is his alias is Dr. Simon X, spelled E-C-K-S. He created like this energy duplicate of himself and he's got this superhuman strength he can fly and he could shoot energy and electricity uh his appearance though looked like something out of a buster crab flash gordon cereal because he had this cowl with a fin on it and he had a cape and he had this pencil thin mustache and he really looked like a serialized movie villain uh the character for what it's worth also appeared in detective comics number 316 world's finest uh, 276 in the 80s and brave and bold number 194 in the 80s as well and that's where batman and the flash team team up together to take on Dr. Double X and the Rainbow Raider. You know, he also appeared in the uh, Brave and Bold cartoon in an episode called uh, A Bat Divided, and he was uh, voiced by Ron Perlman, so that's a little bit background on that character. I really like this as an opening chapter, uh, and we'll get more into it as we go along, but I thought this really, really was fulfilling to me. Excellent. 
I, um, I think that this opening, if you weren't enjoying, as Steph said, is completely different. It's upside down world. And I thought that was really interesting because Tony Daniel also illustrated The Gift, which I think most of us would agree was not one of the stronger arcs during Tom King's run. But it is kind of fun to see this kind of what if. And this is happening in main continuity. Um, but there's still that unreality of the Joker being a police officer and Hugo Strange being the commissioner and Bane controlling it all and Thomas Wayne being Batman. Um, I think that he's really set up just the sense of despair and darkness really well. And Tony Daniel illustrates it really well as well. There's a lot of great storyline pieces like the countdown to Gotham Girl coming in and the the various fight scenes. Tony Daniel is really great at the action stuff. Um, Dr. Double X, I believe, also showed up in the Super Friends mm-hmm. arc with um, Superman. So Superman and Batman tracked different cases and met together to fight the, the villain in the first issue. And then the second issue, they went off on a double date with Lois and Selina, which was great. But I think that Tom King... Could recall him, yes. I, I believe that Tom King likes seeding in these villains to play a, a smaller part in later parts. And obviously the biggest example of this is Kite Man, who we know will be a big part of City of Bane as well. So um, I really appreciate that. I feel like Tom King did the same hard work that Chris did, and I, I really appreciate Chris coming on and doing that, of looking at Double, Dr. Double X and just putting him in as a fun murder victim for Two-Face. That sort of duplicity, double nature is something that Two-Face would definitely enjoy pulling off a crime with him involved in. Um, so... Second question, how do you think from this first issue that Batman will beat Bane? And I ask this because Thomas Wayne, when he was training with Bane in issue number 69, said that when Bane thinks he's won, and Bane really thinks he's won at this point, he will already have lost. So what do you think Batman is going to do to beat him? Well... (laughs) I didn't even think about every. I don't know why I don't think about these things, but about how everyone's probably hypnotized by Psycho Pirate. Like, that makes sense. And if that's true, I hate these. But that kind of gives, like, a mothership failure point, like, where the whole city of New York is being attacked. But if we take down the mothership, all the little android droids will stop and we'll be okay. Which I hate. I hate. I hate killing the mother brain will fix everything fight. And if everyone is under psycho pirates control, then if you take out the control, which with, with hypnotism would be a little bit different. You can't just take out psycho pirate and then everyone suddenly is better, but it probably, I think it will probably be some kind of deactivation of the hypnosis. Cause once all the foot soldiers are out, then Bane's power is gone. Then, so that would be somehow a mass dehypnotization, I guess, is my guess. I'm not sure how Batman is going to stop Bane. I presume it's going to be with the combined forces of Batman's allies and with Catwoman. But since Ian posed the question, I think, I suspect, he must have a theory, and I'm dying to hear it. So, <laughs> Ian, I'm going to turn it right back to you. How do you think Batman will beat Bane? Well... I don't know all of the mechanics, but I think there are two key elements that we need to know. Obviously, I believe that uh, the Bat family is going to be involved, and Tom King has promised that. But um, the first element is that we already know one person 
who is immune to the psychopirate. And that's the ventriloquist, who is right here in Wayne Manor. So I think the ventriloquist is going to be really key in Batman's plan. And I don't know if he's going to be a secret agent or if Batman is going to suborn him, but he, he's going to be key in defeating the psychopirate's power. The second thing is memory. Um, this issue deals with the issue of the street or the, the boat. Batman and Catwoman's first meeting. And he's going to the memory of the mountain, who was mentioned in Batman Annual Number 2, um, as one of the people who trained Bruce before he became Batman. And so I think that there's going to be something in memory that will, and it could be just like providing motivation to Batman and his family or something, but I think that's really going to be key to how Batman's plan turns out to defeat Bane. Because I, I think that there's a clear sense that love and family are going to triumph over Bane's uh, revenge and tyranny. So that, to me, is the seeds that I see Tom King planting to grow into the flower of the finale. Uh, what if there are, like, like, what if there was, like, a collision of multiverses and they get another Bane and convince him to help Batman and then you have Bane versus Bane? Well, that would be a convergence. <laughs> 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 um, I... I can't rule that out because we already have Flashpoint Batman here. So multiverse is already involved. And we already know that Psycho Pirate can see the multiverse. But I'm not... I feel like Flashpoint Batman is as far as that's going to go. Um, now, if, if Tom King does it, I'm sure he'll make it work. But I feel that he's already put all his pieces on the board. And we're going to see how he maneuvers them into Bane's checkmate. <sighs> Do you have any more questions? Um, yes, oh, okay. I do. Um, the last question is, what do you think of Batman and Catwoman's reunion? The real story. <sighs> I hope we get an answer about the vote and the street soon. Cause well, Tom King has promised that we're getting the answer in like 79 or do you think so it's coming. It's like, do you think it was, oh, I don't know. It's a stupid question, but... I, I wonder if at first it had something to do with Doomsday Clock, and since that kind of went to crap, <laughs> I wonder if maybe he's come up with his own reason for it, or if maybe from the beginning it had nothing to do with Doomsday Clock, and he's always had whatever whatever his big reveal is going to be was going to be the solution or the answer. But I was just so excited, but I knew it was her, and it's like he's lying. All alone in the mountain. Only his true love can come rescue him, even though she's supposed to be in Mexico for some reason. <laughs> I do want to know why she's there. Because that is awfully convenient. So I want to know who set her up there and who knew that he would be there. Maybe that's what Joelle Jones is going to answer when she comes back to Catwoman. Ooh. I hope so. so. It would be nice. What do you think of the Batman Catwoman re reunion? You know, I know you run a shipper's special, um, Chris. 
<laughs> I thought it was adorable. No, no sooner than uh, he, he has the footsteps, the first thing out of his mouth was, "Well, it was a boat." And, and they're like this uh, old, old bickering couple that you you, you just want to, uh, you know, root for. And it, I just thought it was adorable, and it's, uh, it's something that almost played out of a movie. And just the way uh, the art was done with uh, Daniel and George, and they, they're, they're looking at each other with this tilted slant. It almost looks like it's something out of a romantic movie poster. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was breathless. It was you could not top it. I, I really really enjoyed how it was executed 100 percent agree i was i have batman catwoman the way tom king writes them is what made me a fan of this run and this reunion was so well the storytelling was just so well done tony daniel drew it so well hiding people's identity and then revealing them and tom king just wrote the dialogue it's just all coming together, and I was so invested. I know it's like, it's not really the main point of this comic, but it was the main <laughs> point of this comic for me. I was just so invested in that. Um, I loved the pieces of, you know, the little details of what upside-down Gotham is with the villains running things. That was cool. But Batman Catwoman, mm-hmm. that was the beating heart mm-hmm. of this issue, and it was amazing. <sighs> All right, so let's get to our ratings. Uh, Steph, what do you give this this artwork? Well, I mean, not the, well, the artwork. You should give a five out of five. I mean, <laughs> six out of five. Um, yeah, I mean, it's and it's. I think I think it was even saying like the 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 last one or maybe the one before that. Like the art was good, but there was nothing that was like interesting. This is like every single page is something to look at, something to dissect, something to. It, the, the words, the art, just every single, every single page, every single panel is just something interesting. I love the the flashes of just the villains doing their stuff, like the the um, firebugs, whatever they're called, are the firefighters, and they're just letting the building <laughs> burst into flames behind them. Like it's, oh, that was such a good detail. It was, and just I, I think I just love that whole page, and it's I don't know, I can't give it a five out of five, but that reunion. If I had to go by my standard that I gave the last time the three of us were here, I think I almost have to give this a five out of five because of that reunion. Four point seven five. Dustin's not here. Can I give it a seven five? Go for it. <laughs> Chris, what's your rating? Well, I, I had a score uh, that I already put down, but before I reveal yet, I just want to go over the numbers here. Solid writing by Tom King, solid artwork. You have a shout-out to some of uh, the old Batman villains. And once again, Tom King makes me do some homework with uh, some uh, old literature and with a uh, Chinese parable. That was really, really good. I give it 4 out of 5. And that said, though, too, I also got to say this with some uh, personal uh, background on this. In an observation, this issue brought some of the Tom King haters at my local comic shop back to the fold single-handedly mm. with this particular issue. And they really hated him with what he did in Heroes in Crisis. Aww. But loved, and I can't stress that enough, loved what they did here. And that's no small feat. So uh, applause, applause. And again, I'm giving it four out of five. That's really good to hear. I want I want this uh, story to end on a high note with fans, too. I want people... To, to enjoy it as much as I am. And I am giving this a 4.5. I'm not quite as rebellious as Steph, um, but I, it, was, it was just so close. I, I just have a slight preference for endings rather than beginnings, so it's a 4.5 for me. 
Um, over on the website, Paul gave it a 4.5 as well, giving this an overall median score of 4.5 out of 5 batarangs. Let's move on to Detective Comics. I am going to steal Tony's summary. <laughs> Sorry, Tony, but thank you. Just as the sun sets in Gotham, Alfred wakes up Bruce. Just as he opens his eyes, Alfred hands Bruce a tablet with the Joker's invitation on the screen. The Joker has invited Batman to come down to the amusement park. It looks like Bruce's night has been spoken for. With a soft drink and and cotton candy in either hand, the Joker greets the people at the amusement park. He is so happy to have moved on from Lex Luthor in the Legion of Doom. He watches a fire breather and comments on how it always it's always a classic. He is impressed with the knife swallower and sympathetic to the man-beast in the cage. He is elated with the human cannonball when he is shot from his cannon. From the corner of his eye, the Joker can see a concession stand worker displeased. The Joker asks if he can buy his hot dog stand, but the man refuses since it has been in his family for 70 years. He would never sell it to a man like the Joker anyway. He questions if these Joker necklaces are even dangerous. The Joker activates the necklace and the worker inhales a lethal amount of the Joker toxin. It is revealed that all the people in the amusement park have the necklaces. Batman throws a batarang into the Joker's arm. The Joker is ecstatic that his friend would be able to drop by. He states that he is aware that Batman has done his due diligence and figured out coming at Joker directly would harm all those in the amusement park. Batman demands that the necklaces be deactivated, and the Joker declines. In anger, Batman punches the Joker in the face, and the Joker walks it off. In fact, it is time for Batman to join the fun. Batman follows the Joker while he goes on about the park. has been totally renovated since the last time they were here. Joker stops by a young boy and commands him to smile and laugh while he is still a kid. This things only grow darker as he gets older. The boy asks Batman if everything is going to be okay. Batman gets on his knees and promises that it'll be okay. Joker joins the conversation and asks if he looks like a bad guy. With a great amount of courage, the boy declares, Joker is just a bully. Joker does not necessarily disagree with him. He gives the boy a cookie just as he is about to leave, but Batman throws the cookie away. It is time for the Joker's grand plan. Enjoy the amusement park with Batman. Joker asks if Batman wants to ring the bell with the hammer. They can determine who is the real Flex Metallo. Mentalo? Mentallo. I don't know. They take a ride on the Ferris wheel, drive go-karts, and go through the tunnel of love. With Batman being so Batman, the Joker demands Batman get more into the spirit. The last item on tonight's agenda is Zorak, the fortune teller. The Joker pulls the lever and gets his fortune. The card says, the sky's the limit. He tells Batman it is his turn. Batman says that he does not need a piece of paper to tell him the future. He punches the Joker and the display case. Joker hid the main detonation device for all the necklaces in the case. Batman disarms the necklace and Joker's contingency bomb. The Joker tries to escape through the air with balloons, but a host of bats attacks the Joker, bursting the balloons and dropping the Joker in the bay. Elsewhere, one of Lex Luthor's drones flies into the secret lab of Victor Freeze. 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 Whatever your preference. He offers Freeze the chance to save his wife. Okay, so this was kind of a nice little one-shot. Um, art was by Doug Menke, uh, writing by Peter Tomasi, as uh, is the main writer on the Detective Comics run so far. Um, I just have a couple questions. Um, this is a Joker one-shot. Uh, how do you think the characterization 
of the Joker works in this issue. If I have to read Joker, this is the type of Joker I would prefer to read. He's weird. He's evil. He's not gross. (laughs) He's not completely maniacal and wants to kill the world. He just wants to have a crazy person's sense of fun. Like, he's obsessed with Batman. He just wants to hang out with his fake best friend. (laughs) And this is the way I would... Nothing happened in this that I would not imagine Joker... I would imagine Joker would do, personally. My Joker. I I appreciated this for what it was. A one-shot telling the story of Batman and Joker at the fair. And you know what? It kind of reminded me. Well, one thing I really liked about it, bringing things back to Catwoman, is this is almost a parallel story of a Joker-Batman date in the park versus a double date for Superman, Lois, and Catwoman in the amusement park. They almost do a lot of the same things together. So that was kind of interesting, seeing the parallel of, of Joker's insanity versus Batman actually having a good time. Well, for me, I didn't really have a problem with the characterization of the Joker as much as I had with Batman, actually. Mm. You know, apart from the initial punch to Joker's face, Batman displays a huge amount of reserve here in this. Uh, he gets this uh, hammer slammed on his foot, and I have to think he must have steel toe boots. Uh, he's going on the Ferris wheel with the Joker. He's going on the bumper cars. He's going on the tunnel of love, and he's just eating it you know i just he's just grousing this whole thing and i, I thought uh batman would really just kind of be a little more uh demonstrative <laughs> or a little bit uh less reserved than he was depicted here one of the usual thing too uh, just a very kind of like a throwaway snippet at the end was uh commissioner gordon saying you know uh batman saying well let's drag the river but usually it would be commissioner gordon saying you know let's drag the river and Batman would say forget it but here it was the opposite and I, I thought that was just kind of unusual just for even something that was throwaway as that you know I thought that was a little bit of weird role reversal in my opinion Ian what about you how was the characterization um, I thought that this was definitely uh, a well thought through uh, classic type of uh, Joker's story. It reminds me of Paul Dini's detective comic issue Sleigh Ride, where Joker captures Robin and takes him on a Christmas ride in a car and goes around killing people while Robin is tied up helpless. And um, that's one of those really memorable Joker stories for me. Um, I I have to admit, Joker is really not my favorite villain just because he's made reading DC comics less enjoyable for me um, in what he did to Barbara Gordon. Now that did have uh, John Ostrander turn that into a positive with the Birds of Prey and Oracle character with Chuck Dixon and Gail Simone. But uh, the Killing Joke, I just don't enjoy reading that story. And then um, in No Man's Land, when he kills Sarah Essen Gordon, Jim Gordon's second wife, um, just so heartlessly in front of babies that she's trying to save from his maniacal plans. That was just so pointlessly evil, and it, I I don't enjoy his character. So every time he's on the screen, so to say, it's on the page, I'm just waiting for him to do something to make the world just so much worse. And I was actually very relieved at the end of this issue, even though he did kill a couple of people, he did not kill all those children at the fair. And that was, that was really good. It was a good win for Batman. But I think I was, 
I wasn't quite able to enjoy the issue just because I was so tense reading it the whole time. Um, so, what are your ratings, Steph? All right, I have to do that. Um, <laughs> I, I hate to sound like a broken record, but I would give this one probably a good solid three. Especially reading again. I kind of understand where you're coming from with the, like, tension, but the, uh, kind of knowing the ending, reading it again, it's like, okay, I can enjoy this knowing that, you know, Gotham isn't going to be blown up and all the children aren't dead and all the babies are okay. <laughs> like, it, it's, a, it's a good, so, it's my refrain, I think, for Detective Comics. It's a good, solid Joker one-shot. Three, three, three out of five. Well, I'm going to go echo with uh, Steph's sentiments. Uh, just to go backtrack with uh, what Ian was saying, yeah, Ian, that was a good story. Uh, Slay Ride, spelled S-L-A-Y, Ride, <laughs> goes back to Detective Comics number 826, uh, which was covered in February 2007. Fine, fine issue uh, worth tracking down, and a uh, good shout-out there, Ian. Yeah, this was reminiscent to me with a few things. With and Joe- you covered that on Bat Books for Beginners, didn't you? I believe we did, yes. <laughs> Thank you for the plug. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, with uh, Joker at the Amusement Park, and, and how cool was it that they called it uh, Ball and Park? You know, if, for what, if you love or hate uh, Killing Joke, it, it was a nice uh, reference and shout-out to a talented artist. Yeah, a uh, little reminiscent of The Killing Joke. Uh, there was another uh, Joker in the Amusement Park story way, way back that I remember when I was a wee little kid. It was called uh, The Joker's Playground of Peril. It was Batman number 286 from way back in the day. And he, he took a psychiatrist, you know, and, you know, the, the slang for a shrink, and he literally shrunk him and, and put him in the middle of the road. It was just one of the more... Uh, weirder Joker stories that was out there. I had some qualms because when I found out that this issue was going to be covered on this podcast, I got really worried because I knew some of the feelings about the Joker between, <laughs> between Steph and Ian, you know, and I know he was not one of the group's favorite villains. Uh, you know, I think this is a really, tr- I, I'm conflicted because This is a treat. When you get a nice break and you get a nice standalone issue that's that's self-contained and you don't have to follow a lot of chapters and with respect to trades and everything. And it's got the Joker, no less, who who is one of my favorite villains, actually. I really thought that this seemed to, well, kind of go by the numbers, and it was a little bit routine. Uh, The artwork by Doug Monkey, though, really, really elevated this to me. So if if an average issue is, say, 2.5 out of 5, this really boosted its score. The colors were good. It really got enhanced by me for reading it uh, in the print format because I thought the colors really, really really popped. I I don't know how it looked on a digital, but uh, really, really looked good. So I'm going to give this a 3 out of 5. How about you, Ian? Um, I think that I'm going to give it a 3 out of 5, just because even though I agree it is a little by the numbers, it's nice to see Tomasi really focusing on a classic-style tale instead of... I feel like his first tale for Detective was way too... It was all the dream. That that was just really frustrating to me. And then his second arc was about the Arkham Knight, and that was just... it. Ha- it Dustin raised a lot of excellent points, and it just doesn't answer its own questions to me. Now, maybe they'll be answered in later issues. I know he's planning to bring back the Arkham Knight, but as it stood, it wasn't super satisfying. So so this is a cut above, just because he put all the pieces together in a much more satisfying way, even with the tension. And um, I agree, Doug Mankey did a really good job. It was was just very solid all around. I'm going to give it a 3.5 out of 5. On the website, Tony gave it a 4 out of 5, so I believe that gives the overall score a median or average of 
3.5 out of 5 batarangs. And I'm sure there's math in there. <laughs> Before we move on, could I just uh, ask uh, you, uh, Steph, Annie, and what, what was, how would you rate your interest in seeing Luther reviving Nora Freeze? Uh, is do, were, were you kind of like gasping, or you, did you just kind of take it as a ho hum, or or did you think this was an intriguing move? I thought it was intriguing, and then you know, while we were going over the solicits, I actually saw the cover. Victor holding his wife it was very like over those old swamp monster movies where the guy's holding the woman in her barely there negligee it's very reminiscent of that and that looks it looks fun I'm hesitant to say I will hopefully enjoy it but it definitely looks kind of fun and hopefully they won't take it too seriously but, yeah, that was exciting because kind of like Nora being in the t- – I don't think Nora's ever had a line in her life, has she? She's always been in the tube. So having Nora come out would be really pretty awesome. I was excited. What about you? I am curious. Now, I think most people – most of our listeners know I'm not super invested in this run. Um, it's not the worst, but it, I mean <laughs> – Having gone through the Robinson run, we know it's not the worst. <laughs> but uh, I think that there is there's an element of fun in using villains that haven't been used a lot. We we did see Mister Freeze in the Cold Days mm-hmm. arc of Batman way back in number fifty three, uh, fifty one through fifty three. But that didn't really delve into Freeze's motivations because it turned out he was framed um, by Bane. Um, so seeing a look at Freeze's classic motivations with his wife and, and uh, you know, the, the classic story that was uh, immortalized in the animated series episode Heart of Ice. I, I am very curious. Um, I hope that this will sort of be a rebirth where they retcon um, the Batman annual from the New 52, where Scott Snyder and James Tynan kind of just completely took a sledgehammer to the original origin story and made it really sort of nasty and... It lost all the the poignancy and the tragic nature and just became kind of this really nasty mad scientist obsession story. So I'm hoping that we go more towards the classic story. So that's my hope for what the the Tomasi run is going to do with Mr. Freeze. Great. And and Chris, what about you? Yeah, I I was curious about that i thought that was an intriguing possibility as 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 it's been said you know this is a character that really has never been in the spotlight per se uh, it, perhaps in flashback i'd have to do some research uh, but I, I thought this was of all the uh tie-ins this this sort of one that uh posed the most interest out of all the ones i've read so far in the dc comics lineup with respect to uh, uh all the uh uh, villain tie-ins. The, this one was really the one that. Uh, oh, okay. Well, this is a move that uh, I, I wouldn't mind seeing what happens with this. Yeah. So I like that because we haven't really talked about the little Luther bot at all, even though they showed up in both comics, suddenly bringing everything together in a shared universe. Even though up until now that's never happened, except for Night of the Monster Men. Do we want to chat about that just a little bit? Because I'm a little confused. I mean, anything with Justice League is never going to actually make sense. Because Batman, what Batman does in Justice League, 
never can really work with what Batman does in Batman. And that's always But now nice. it's literally being shoved so, in like the story. Like will will the Luther have any effect on Batman at all? Or will City of Bane wrap up and then they'll go into the Justice League direction? Like Well that's what it seems like from what Tom King said in his most recent interview. Okay. Is that, um, once he leaves the main book and goes into Batman Catwoman in January, uh, the main book's going to have a lot of crossovers. So I fully expect that we're going to get some tie-ins to the, the Year of the Villain and the Legion of Doom and whatever Scott Snyder and Brian Bendis are doing with Event Leviathan and uh, the Justice League title. So do you think this is the last we'll see of the Luther bot in Batman until Tom King leaves? Um, I can't remember what I've seen. I think so, just because City of Bane is supposed to be the big Batman-centric event, mm-hmm. and I don't think they're going to want to try and confuse it a bit anymore with the other events. Um, but I, I could be wrong. I don't know. I, I don't see Tom King wanting to waste more page spaces. I think the only reason he did it is because he got extra page space in Batman number 75. Um, I think it's quite possible we'll see more of it happen in uh, Detective Comics, though, because that's a much less yeah. uh, driving force. It's more of a a book that allows space for expanding the universe. And that's a story I'd actually be interested in reading, so that's okay. Sure. <laughs> okay, so... I agree with you, Ian. Yes, well said. Ah, thank you. So, we're going to move on to our review roundups real quick. For the week of July 17th, uh, we had Batman 75, which we've already talked about, and we had Nightning, number 62, where Rick reveals his life to his girlfriend, B, while the Talon lurks in the shadows. Um, this got a 3.5 out of 5. It's Nightwing. Uh, the main DC Universe books were Justice League. Um, as the Justice League searches for the Anti-Monitor, Starman gets Shane's help. Uh, and John finally comes face-to-face with Lex. Uh, Andy gave this a 4 out of 5. Um, Justice League continues to Justice League. Snyder <laughs> continues to Snyder. Um, <laughs> Most non-committal Titans. review ever. <laughs> well, I'm saving my uh, my full Spider breakdown for the, uh, the review spotlight in a few minutes. So, uh, Teen Titans, number 32. Crush and the Titans make their final stand against Lobo. Donovan gave this a 3... Out of five batarangs. Uh, we had one secondary DC Universe book for that week, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, number one, by Matt Fraction. Jimmy rents a place in Gotham City and discovers how the dark may be better in the city, as opposed to the light in Metropolis, of course. So, um, for the next week, we had uh, July 24th, uh, Detective Comics number 100, 1008. We've already talked about that. We had Batgirl number 37, the terrible trio, uncover a powerful android as Batgirl faces off against Killer Moth. Paul gave this a 2.5 out of 5. Um, I thought that was kind of fun. Cecil Castellucci starts her run picking up for Manfred Scott. Um, Can I have a brief 30 second? Who is Jason Bard to Barbara? And because I know it had something to do with Eternal, right? Yes. And he was a bit of a poop. (laughs) So let's go way back. Jason Bard actually was a love interest for Barbara way back in the 70s. Um, 
that romantic tension came back in the 90s when um, Chuck Dixon was writing Birds of Prey. I keep mentioning Dixon's Birds of Prey just because it's one of my fondly remembered runs. Um, when they brought him back in the New 52, he was a police lieutenant transferring from another city. He Detroit, I believe. Yeah, you're right. Detroit. And he was a villain. He was a straight-up villain. Okay. Um, he had admirable motives that... Uh, I believe a vigilante had caused his uh, fiance's death, and so he was really anti-vigilante. But he used that as part of the overall plan during Batman Eternal to take over the city, imposing military rule. And he confessed it all to Vicky Vale, who he also had romantic tension with. But um, Batgirl threw him off a roof and broke his foot in Batman Eternal. So she feels guilt over that, even though he was instrumental in really hurting her father. And so there's just a lot of complicated tension. She, He's obviously attracted to her, and he doesn't know she's Batgirl. She knows both sides of his life, her, his conflicts with Batman, and also his work after that as a security consultant. So, so he isn't really painted as, like, villain-villain. He's more like a dude who made really dumb choices, and we can not necessarily disregard him as a good guy now. Like, he, he possibly does not have ulterior motives. I think that we're meant to have that sort of hesitance. I think we're supposed to try and examine his motives, okay. yes. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I think we're sort of like, we're not sure, at least for me, the pictures, I don't know where I land on Jason Bard, be it uh, hero, anti-hero, or, or somewhere in the middle, or full-out villain. This, for, for from coming at it from, from my perspective, I, this was a character I grew up with uh, right when I got into comics. He was a Vietnam vet. Uh, he was shown with a disability. He was always walking with a cane. And they even thought, DC thought so much of him that they would also give him uh, temporarily some backup feature in detective comics where he'd have like you know uh, like a four-page story what have you where he'd solve a mystery not not too much you know but uh, for was there they really kind of shoved this character into uh, the batman lore in the forefront uh there we did have some romance with uh, barbara gordon they dated uh, then they kind of uh, calmed down a bit and that's when i think they were amping up the barbara dick relationship or batgirl robin to be more correct with respect to the costume and, and things like that i was sort of taken aback with the way he was depicted in the internal series and they sort of left it okay uh now now i have to atone perhaps i thought in the back row run he was more or less presented as someone who is uh, of a decent sort but i really don't know what type of continuity we're in here now and I, i'm just still seeing if the character is finding its footing that's a really good note but uh, ian well said with all yeah, it will we'll sit with what you brought with with respect to Jason Bard, right off of uh, just off the top of the head like that with the, uh, no no prompting or anything. That was really good. Thanks. Um, well, I I was as I, as everyone knows now, I'm a big fan of the Birds of Prey run, so he was a big character. So I did a bit of research way back when I first read that. Um, ah. And I I I like the tension he brings. I just kind of wish they'd give him. A better plot line because he he has had sort of a an inconsistent plot line for the last several years. Uh, True. And he picked up Barbara's stuff off of the street where where you know it could have been raided, but Jason takes all of Barbara's uh, belongings that got uh, tossed in the street and he put it in his place. So yeah, for now I guess he's he's somewhat of a good sword. For now, we'll see. 
I agree. And I, I personally hope that he stays that way. I like the, the history of him being a heroic character rather than a villain. It would be interesting, though, for him to have good motivations and then Barbara's treatment of him kind of... I don't know if make him a villain is what I'm trying to say. You are responsible for your own emotions and actions. But interesting if, if, if she's the one that kind of maybe puts a wedge in, in their relationship and makes it a little more harder. A little harder. That would be interesting. All right. So Batman Beyond number 34, as split with two T's, continues to steal items. He's given a strange proposition by Terry. Or is it Terry? Bum, bum, bum. Andy gave us a two out of five. Uh, Batman, Curse of the White Knight, number one, as Joker reels following Jack Napier's whirlwind through Gotham. Sorry, as Batman reels following Jack Napier's whirlwind through Gotham, the Joker uncovers dark secrets about Gotham's history. Uh, I reviewed this, and I gave it a four out of five. Um, Secondary DC Series books, uh, Dial H for Hero, number five, by Sam Humphreys, a Golden Age Batman and Robin, Dick Grayson, make a brief appearance as do modern age two-face so that's kind of a fun little cameo and that's a fun book uh if you're if you're not reading it i agree so um we have for the so again this was a five-week series i want to look at the uh the 31st of july uh we had batman secret files number two in this tie-in to the city of bane event this book showcases batman's villains in five short stories paul gives 2.5 out of five uh, Batman, Last Night on Earth, number two, by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. In the middle issue of this miniseries, Batman and Joker's head travel in search of Superman, but their journey takes a surprising turn. Adil gave this two out of five. Uh, Red Hood and the Outlaws, annual number three. We get the backstory of what um, Artemis and Bizarro have been up to in their alternate dimension. Um, the Batman Who Laughs, number seven. Batman looked into the abyss and did not blink. Tony gave this a 5 out of 5. Uh, so that's our review roundup. We have reviews for almost all the issues that we listed here. Um, and now we're going to sort of transition into our review spotlights. And I have a lot to say. I hope that my co-hosts will bear with me and provide their own commentary. Um, I Because this was um, a five-week, we have a lot more reviews that we covered. Uh, and the fifth week meant that we had a lot of annuals and special issues. Uh, and those special issues often give us stuff to talk about. So the issues that I want to talk about are actually Curse of the White Knight, Last Night on Earth, number two, The Batman, Batman Who Laughs, number seven, and Secret Files, number two. So starting with Curse of the White Knight, this is a follow-up to Sean Gordon Murphy's uh, smash hit alternate universe miniseries, Batman, colon, White Knight, which was all about Jack Napier, the Joker, the two different Harley Quinns, and the wacky shenanigans that I got up to. And he wrote and drew that issue, and it was really a pretty, just the art. And I want to say something about that. So I've been doing the numbers, and I actually went through, and I've been doing a lot of history, and one thing I'm supposed to be doing now is <laughs> looking at numbers of past story runs and maxis and minis and, and looking at the numbers and stuff. White Knight went up in sales. That's unheard of. Like, when you look at all all the minis and maxis that I've, I've looked at, all the sales go down. Your first issue sells really well, and then it just kind of tapers off. Sometimes, you know, it ta- plummets, <laughs> and sometimes it just has a nice taper. White Knight went up. That alone makes it, like, a one-of-a-kind storyline. So I am very excited about where this story is going to go because of just how good the first one did. And I, I thought it was good. What did you think of it in comparison to the original? 
with only one issue. Well, let's, we'll start with, let's start with uh, where Chris is going. Oh, okay. Well, with respect to uh, White Knight, I, I, it, with the initial series, uh, it took me some time to get involved with respect to the premise. Once I got immersed in the premise, it, this really blew me out of the water. So I had to give props to uh, Sean Murphy for, for one of the more well-crafted Batman stories and I, I, probably one of the top ten Batman stories of all time with respect to that. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, this one started really good. I really enjoyed, though, with respect to the uh, conflict that uh, Batman had with uh, Nightwing and uh, the depiction of the Barbara Gordon Batgirl in this series. I really like the byplay that uh, was exchanged in this issue. I thought it hit the ground running, and I really, really loved it. Then, once we got to Asriel, I'm afraid the balloon started to, you know, had lost some of its air. And I I felt a little bit disheartened with that. That said, I'm still on board, but uh, I know people were were fond of the Asriel character and the inceptions of what have you uh, of of that, but uh, I just was kind of a little let down with that, and... It was like almost. It was like someone hitting a home run, and the ball's just about to sail over the fence, and it just falls short on the warning track. <laughs> and once I once I saw that inclusion there, still uh, very talented team. Uh, Hollingsworth, uh, with respect to uh, joining uh, Murphy on this, uh, still still really good. But I, I'm a little cautious with where we go from here. But I, I I did have I have to confess I did enjoy it. See, I have very little exposure to Azrael, and that's almost by choice. He's not really my cup of tea from what I've seen. So I didn't really have anything to compare, like, his origin in this, if you can call it an origin, in this in this issue. What I was disappointed by is they really set it up that while he's alone in the church, what he sees could be either, like, actually an angel of God, or it could be, you know, something caused by the cancer in his body, like a tumor in his brain, because you never really find out what kind of cancer it is, right? So it could be a delusion, but the fact that it's given away right away that it's the Joker, you know, giving him this, like, godly mission was a little disappointing i was like i would have liked to be kept in the dark a little bit more about what what that was but they gave it away right away and it was a little yeah wind out of my balloon (laughs) (laughs) Ian, i'm curious as to your thoughts that's that's really interesting because actually um i was a little more lukewarm on the original white knight i i love the art but the story uh, as as everyone knows joker is not my favorite villain so a whole story about the joker didn't do a whole lot for me but james tynan in his um detective comics run has made me a big fan of Azrael, jean paul valley specifically um and I have gone back. I've read most of Nightfall. I've listened to the Nightfall radio drama. Highly recommended, by the way. Um, and I, I just find Jean-Paul's story really compelling. Now, I don't have a great desire to read the solo series just because uh, my understanding of the ending of that series is it's extremely depressing. And I have no desire to read 100 issues just to find out that everyone dies in the end. Um, but I think that... The way James Tynan set it up, there's a lot more hope for him. He's still a very conflicted character. He's experimented on. He is, um, he's got almost two personalities. He's, he's got this Azrael personality. And he also has his Jean Paul, very mild mannered and, and gentle character. But he, he's, Azrael's incredibly violent. And then in John, in the, um, the intelligence arc of Detective Comics, James Tymon actually implanted a Batman personality. So he's got three personalities. His mind is truly torn. And t- 
two of them want to be heroic, and one of them wants to be just vengeful and full of violence. And that, to me, just is so compelling. And so I was really worried that they were going to make Azrael Jason Todd, because Sean Gordon Murphy has hinted that Jason Todd's like a big secret figure. And I'm sure he's going to come up because of all the hints. But I'm glad that he's not Azrael. Um, and there was even a little hint for fans of the Fabian Nicieza and Grant Morrison recreation of Azrael, uh, Michael Lane, he and his sister-in-law slash girlfriend. It was a very weird series, okay? Oh, they show up as the caretakers of Jean-Paul, who's sort of this uh, Vietnam... I don't know, he's really old, so that's why I think Vietnam. But he's a, a war veteran. He, he's he got this connection to the Order of St. Dumas. He's working as a janitor in a church. Um, and I just loved those continuity notes. Now, if you're not a fan of Azrael, and I totally understand why, he's a very confusing and often very dark and very unsatisfying in the end character. But I, I that's my note in that, that's that was my door into the characters, James Tynan's really excellent detective comics run. So I just was very excited for the inclusion of Azrael in this series. Um, and I thought the Joker worked reasonably. I can see how it'd be a little disappointing because sort of that uh, question of faith or real or or illusion or disease is, is always a fun one to play with, but I wasn't really expecting that, so the Joker showing up was just kind of exciting to me. Um, I I am looking forward to. I definitely think that people should pick it up because um, the last one was a, a very well crafted story, and so that that about wraps up my thoughts on Curse of the White Knight. Uh, before we move on, does anyone want to say last words? I loved that Joker was so angry at Jack Napier for everything he did. <laughs> It's like Batman and Joker both are kind of mad at Napier for two completely different reasons. But I just thought that was hilarious. It's like the ultimate Joker insanity thing is past me is such an idiot. What was he thinking? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was great. Oh, well done, Steph. I, I can't add any more than, than, than what Steph put there. That was It has to end there. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, second one on my list is The Last Night on Earth, number two. Now, this is the middle of a miniseries, and those always struggle. Um, but to me, this really, really struggled. The first issue, as I said, Snyder's going to Snyder. He does a lot of things that, if you like Zach, um, Scott Snyder, you're going to love it. And it's Greg Capullo, who has a really good relationship with um, with Snyder, so it's uh, it's really got that artistic synergy. I don't like what either of them do very much, so it really didn't work for me. And the second issue was just so discombobulated. There's just so many bits and pieces thrown in. I really kind of wish he'd decided to do sort of the world of the last night because you've got these things like the war between the red and the green and the alliance and Fort Waller and you have the speeds, the speed force storm and you have this weird flashback to um, Joe Chill and Batman having a confrontation and Joe Chill knows who Batman is and it was just I didn't get a sense of a story. I got a sense of a world that wasn't fully fleshed out. I felt schizophrenic reading this. <laughs> it was all over the place. Well, I, oddly enough, I think I enjoyed it better than both of you did. That said, um, <laughs> I, I've been taken to task by a coworker who says I, I'm not enjoying, enjoying it enough. So uh, I guess I'm somewhere in the middle. Uh, <laughs> 
he, he uh, this this person thinks that the Snyder Capullo team is is the all time best uh, creative team ever on Batman. Period, and you you can't dispute it with him. So we get into some nice uh, little arguments and debates, what have you, with respect to this. He he points out all the things with respect to uh, the artwork and how how Snyder keeps on pushing Batman, and, and he's taken him to places that he's never been before. Uh, I, I I can kind of counter argue, you know. Yes, but how much? You know, can 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 Snyder, you know, reel it back a little bit? And if he was only tasked with writing something that it was only a uh, a two chapter story or a single story, how would that play out? And um, we, we, I had to share that. With respect to the series, I, I think I enjoyed the second one a little bit better than the first one. I do have to acknowledge, though, Snyder really did some nice touches with respect to. Uh, some callbacks with respect to um, Crocodile Men in Fawcett City, which was a great, great shout out to Captain Marvel. There's another sequence where, you know, he's talking about uh, the DC War books, you know, with respect to uh, Unknown Soldier, let's see, uh, and uh, a shout out to the Animal Men and the Haunted Tank. I thought that was really, really good for the respect to the War books. Capullo's art is really outstanding with respect to the Fortress of Solitude. I thought that was a really, really nice touch. The depiction of Luther was a Spoiler alert! Uh, just just a wonderful surprise. I, I'm sort of along for the ride. I am enjoying it for what it is, not as much as my coworker is, but I think I'm appreciating the artwork much more than with respect to the story. Fair enough, and I'm really glad that we have a positive voice because uh, I don't. I personally don't mind being negative. I know Dustin's gotten a lot of hate for being negative, but. Um, I do like to have a discussion. I like to have multiple perspectives. Presented. It would be nice to have more Snyder lovers on the cast, because I never have anything to say other than my brain just exploded. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's going to be interesting on the next issue. So the next issue I wanted to touch on was Batman Who Laughs number seven. Um, this is the end of the Batman Who Laughs, and it was Scott Snyder reuniting with Jock, who he did uh, most of the Black Mirror with, which is one of my all-time favorite Batman stories. So I was really hoping to enjoy this series. And unfortunately... It started re- really good. Well, for me... Well, it started different <laughs> than it ended. <laughs> and it was something that at least... I'm sorry to interrupt, but it just started as something I felt like I was like, a Snyder story I think I can read. I can do this. And then in, after he injected himself, I, I just kind of... I don't know. I just had trouble understanding and reading and following along. I was like, Oh no, this is a Snyder book. Never mind. So for me, this really came into, I both really love what Snyder's doing and I really hate what Snyder's doing. (laughs) And it was really in equal measures all the way through. So this wasn't, this wasn't last night on earth where I just wasn't into anything he was doing. I was into the art. Uh, I thought Jock did a great job. I was into the ideas that Snyder... Snyder's always been a very thoughtful writer. Even if I don't like him... Uh, I like him personally. Even if I don't like what he does, I really respect the amount of thought he puts into his work. And he especially loves to do themes. I think issue three of this was where they used the metaphor of the heart. Um, mm-hmm. And it was just this unifying image. And as a literature nerd, I just loved the way the, the metaphor of the heart and what was actually going on with Bruce's heart with the Joker toxin really got into this sort of symbolic 
vision of who Batman is. And this last issue did the exact same thing. I love the thematic unity. I love the way that Jim Gordon's story and Jim Jr.'s struggle for redemption and Batman who laughs evil and Bruce's giving in to the evil of the Joker toxin. I loved how all of that worked together thematically and it made a statement on who Batman is. The problem is, I reject what Snyder's saying about who Batman is. So I appreciate the artistic care that he's taking to say it. It's, it's a masterpiece. It's really an excellent work. But I reject what he's saying because to me, and I'm hoping that Chris will, will push back on me on this, to me, Snyder is saying that only Bruce can be Batman. And specifically, only this Bruce. Um, every character... Every side character in the story is Bruce, um, because the Batman who laughs is going through the dark multiverse and murdering all the other Bruce Waynes. And so it's all about Bruce. And I think that Batman's best characteristic is his ability to inspire other people to be heroes. It's why I love the Batman, the Bat family so much, because this man who lost his family creates a new family by inspiring them in the same mission to make other people's lives better. But if you tell me that only Batman can be the true hero, that destroys what I love about Batman. Now, I know that Snyder did some really nice moments with the Bat family here, and I think he does love reading about the Bat family, but for him, thematically, only Bruce can be Batman. Only Bruce can reach the true pinnacle of heroism. And that's what I reject. So, Chris, uh, do you push back on me, please? I, I wish I could, Ian. I, I really wish I could. Uh, just to take it back a few steps for me, this series sold really, really well at my local comic shop. And I, I picked it up and I, I read it just for the enjoyment with respect to uh, Jock's art, which I really, really loved. Uh, some great uh, shadowing, some great facial expressions with Bruce, what have you. Uh, before I get this out of the way, as far as... Uh, James Jr. is concerned, you know, which a, a character that I really, ne- really never uh, connected or resonated with when uh, it was in the uh, old Batgirl title, even back in the Gail Simone days up until the current stuff. Uh, never really did much for me, but I really thought uh, the character was really, really executed. Well done here. And uh, shout out to uh, Props to Snyder for that. You know, it, but I go back to the local comic shop gang that I chat about with this book and and they really really dug this uh, title and i wondered if i was missing something so i I reread it and again i just 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 couldn't stick on me with respect to the characterizations ian yes i I, i'm more inclined to agree with you i'm trying to figure out if i could just put on a different hat though to give you some type of counter argument and i'm really having a lot of difficulty doing so uh i think the points resonated well and it, it is tough and i'm just thinking can i compare it to another story where the there was another scenario with like this Nothing comes to mind recently. And I, I'm disappointing you as a guest co-host, but I really wanted to get into some meat and uh, some arguing with some pushback on this. But unfortunately, I really can't. I, I think you eloquently stated your points, and I'm trying to find an argument, but I, I, I'm having some difficulty doing so. Ultimately, at the end of the day, I, I think you nailed it home, and I, I think you swayed me. Yes, this... Uh, Bruce is one who who does inspire, and uh, 
that there you have it. Uh, I do I do want to say though I did like the little end the dun 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 ending there with uh with Gordon and I thought this concluded very well. Ian, I got to ask you though, you know, this initially I think was initially touted as a six issue series, then it turned out to be seven. I don't think they could have pulled it off in six issues, and I don't know if you know any reasoning with respect to. Uh, why it went? Uh, why they added the additional issue, or or did they kind of see this as they were going along that they had to add the one? Yeah. Um, so Snyder has always struggled with keeping his arc short. Um, this is something if you listen to the old podcast when Snyder was on the main Bat Family, Dustin was always really really annoyed <laughs> when they announced that we're in for another ten issue arc or a twelve issue arc because he he wanted to have stories that didn't go on forever. And back when Batman was monthly, that was especially uh, an issue. I think Snyder's been just an incredibly ambitious writer. And even if I don't... Even if I don't follow along with him in his ambition in terms of enjoying it, I appreciate that he's really ambitious and he's willing to ask DC for an initial issue. I don't... I agree with you, Chris. I don't think this is a story that he could have satisfyingly squashed into six issues. So I appreciate that he was willing to say to DC, let's let's give it a full issue so that we can make it a, a, a satisfying story instead of truncating things. Uh, I don't think this was an issue of DC being like, oh, this is selling so well, let's add another issue. I, I think this was an artistic thing. I don't think it was a sales thing. And I think everyone knows I'm fully willing to, <laughs> to bash DC for trying to soak us for money. I, I really think this was driven by the artistic team, and I, I applaud them for that. Um, so please, in the comments, take me to task. Give me some counter arguments on, on Snyder's vision of Batman. I know Tony thought this was a perfect issue. You gave it five out of five. And I, I fully admit it was a well-crafted issue. I just take issue with what he's saying with it. So, so don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this is a bad issue. I just disagree with it. But if you disagree with me, let us know in the comments and we will read them. I promise. Um, and the last one is Secret Files number two. So this is... <sighs> you picked this one specifically to complain about it. I'm I'm really disappointed with this issue. <laughs> oh, as, as everyone knows... Go ahead. No, well, maybe, we'll have, uh, maybe now I have something to push back on. Let's, let's, let's hear what you got, Ian. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so, to me, this is a little bit of a counterfactual um, criticism. But Secret Files, to me, um, as our, our long-term site member and staff member, Joshua Lappin Bertoni, has often said, Secret Files should be about giving us background on the world of Batman. And one of the key things of that was the little profiles and pinup art of the characters that give us sort of a snapshot of what DC is saying about this character's history now. And... I happen to know, because I'm a DC Universe subscriber, that they have these things written up already for their website. They could just plug that text in and commission some art and add a couple pages to these secret files. And I feel like slapping secret files on these instead of making them another anthology like the quarterly holiday anthologies is really betraying the idea of secret files and, and things that really would cost but would add value to veteran fans and introduce new fans to this idea of collecting information about your favorite heroes and about heroes you maybe didn't know about and could follow to find new comics about. And I think that really these these two secret files so far have really fallen down on the issue of being secret files. Now, if they title them 
Batman Chronicles. Actually, Batman Chronicles was another anthology series from way back. If they called this Batman Chronicles, I would have no complaint about that. But the specific title of Secret Files, I think, is very frustrating and disappointing because of the amount of work that I know has already been done to provide the information that I would like to see. And the fact that they're not doing it just seems like a lack of pride in in their history in terms of DC. The other thing I want to complain about is that this is branded City of Bane. This is branded as the backstory of the villains who are involved in City of Bane. And technically that is true. All of the villains in this are connected to City of Bane. But when I see City of Bane on the cover, I expect something to do with the status quo of City of Bane, where they're all working for Bane. None of these stories deal with that. There is nothing to connect them to the actual storyline or status quo of City of Bane. And so the marketing of the title of Secret Files and the marketing of the, the banner of City of Bane on this, to me, are incredibly misleading. And I think DC should be it's ashamed like the, of themselves. It's like the wedding prequels. Yes. It's very similar to the wedding prequels. And those were even worse because, unfortunately, they didn't let the writer of the wedding prequels read issue 50 or even the script of issue 50. So he didn't know what was going on. So, Chris, let's hear what you got to say. Well, I was really more more or less not uh, had a complaint with respect to the uh, packaging, but I, I was I was liking this with respect to just to the content alone. I mean, if you just basically said yes, this this Ian, Ian your points were extremely valid, and I concur with you 100% wholeheartedly. But when we when if, when Batman uh, was relaunched with Secret Files number one, and we didn't get the pinups, and we didn't get like a map of Gotham City or the the the, the biotech pieces with like the vital statistics of a character and the history, what have you, when 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 I saw this second issue come out, I knew I knew I wasn't going to get that. Am I disappointed that the format changed with respect to that? Oh, absolutely. I think for a new reader, that's a huge benefit, and even a long time older reader would certainly like to see you know an update of like you know uh, height, weight, eye color, blah blah blah, the history, a little a couple of paragraphs, what have you of of that, and uh, what, what's in the Batman's utility belt, things like that, the the top speed of the Batmobile, things of that nature. Oh, absolutely. You know, with respect to secret files, truly that is what a secret file should be. I, I have no problem or qualms with that. With respect to the cover, you know, this does tout, you know, a City of Bane tie-in. Does it really tie into any respect to the story? No, it, it, it certainly does not. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed the stories, though, for what they were with respect to the content. Should it have been labeled something differently? Yes, I could see that. Uh, in as much as, you know, you have a, a Psycho Pirate story in there, a Hugo Strange story, uh, villains that are, are somewhat seen in, in, in the, you know, Batman 75 for either forefront or behind the scenes they're all there so I it was I don't know if it was necessarily a cop out or a cheat but it 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 comes very very close I will grant you that uh, I I was just thinking you know with respect to doing deep dives of the stories uh, I thought some of them were not not bad at all not bad at all uh I don't know if either of you remember this, but the first, the one I think I enjoyed the most was the Joker story, where uh, Batman's tied up and uh, ba- ba- Batman's basically uh, he's got Joker's got Batman tied up. He's hanging upside down, and we we got some Joker's got some nefarious plan for him. But he's going to basically see what accoutrements and armaments Batman has on on his uh, belt or costume, and then with each successive one, he gets a, 
something bad happens. He gets zapped. He he's knocked out by some sound. Then uh, he, there's an explosion. It's very reminiscent of me when I was a very young child. There was a golden book, and I don't know if you guys read golden books back in the day, but there was one based on a Sesame Street character by the name of Grover, and the the book was titled The Monster at, at the, the End, end of, of This Book. book. <laughs> and, yes, and, and Grover's basically telling you not you know don't turn the page. He's telling the reader don't turn the page because there's going to be a monster at the end of the book. But as a reader, you're compelled to turn the page, and Joker's <laughs> compelled to keep on. <laughs> you know, touching something on Batman's utility belt. And you know something bad's going to happen, but yet he does it anyway. I just thought it was genius and really inspired, and it reminded me of that old uh, story of yore that I read from back in the day. Uh, not every story was a home run, I'll grant you that. I think I uh, the, the Psycho Pirate story was probably, I thought, the weakest of the yeah. lot. But I thought this was a good cross-section of stories where you kind of, you know, get to know what the villain is and what what, what they're about. Uh, the Riddler story, I thought, was was average uh and i thought the hugo strange story was really really probably the best of the lot because it sort of had a little bit of a twist ending and i thought uh the artwork was really really good by uh risso on that one and i I thought this was just uh, an above average uh collection of tales in my opinion yeah as someone who has no real expectations for secret files i can only just judge it on on a newbie and yeah like like um chris said the stories of themselves were Hit or miss, decent and good. Uh, actually, what I was thinking of with the Joker story was kind of like a Cesar Romero, Batman 66 kind of story. Like, there's no danger. There's there's nothing bad going to happen. It's just Joker being curious um, and kind of goofy, I guess. Um, but yeah, the stories were, were, were okay and... I actually didn't look at the cover, so I didn't realize it was supposed to be a City of Bane diet. Because <laughs> I'm just... I have to read quickly, because I have other things to do sometimes. But <laughs> Especially when it was the secret files. I was like, I wasn't that committed to it. But um, I, I I need to give the, the Riddler one a little more attention, because it seems like from like the editor's notes, that one is supposed to be... like. A little more smart, or yeah, a little smarter than, and a little more detective-y than it is on the surface. So I'd like to go back and see if it actually has hidden clues and if it has a little more depth than maybe it appears. Because, like like Chris said, it's just a little kind of average on the surface. Um, yeah, the Hugo Strange one was pretty dark. <laughs> it was a little messed up, <laughs> but very interesting. Uh, definitely not a story that I've ever heard of before in a Batman in a Batman story. Um, with him trying to figure out what makes a Batman. And then the Bane story definitely had absolutely nothing to do with City of Bane. But it was it was a little interesting. And I like seeing people's motivations being more than just, I want money, I want power. Like, having having an emotional motivation for, for a villain's actions always adds a little depth and a little something to their character. Maybe not even empathy, but just something that makes them a little more three-dimensional. And I think that your reaction to the actual stories is perfectly valid. And I had this conversation with Paul on the server who did the review, and he thought that it was a fun collection of stories. My thing is, they put a lot of effort into marketing this as Secret Files City of Bane, and nothing of that was what we got. Yeah, because, I mean, if, if it is supposed to be, like, even just the title, Secret Files, City of Bane, like, there should be at least something that gives away one of the characters' motivation, how they got to where they are, 
even just some fun fact about them that that explains why they're they're doing what they're doing. But yeah, they're really, at least that we know of, there's nothing like that really in this. And I would be surprised if Tom King was involved with this at all. <laughs> in any way. No, it, yeah, it was, it was certainly marketing, but I, I, I thought uh, you know, it, the, the, the stories themselves were, were certainly uh, mostly above average. If I, was, if I was to give this a score collectively, I, I'd say this is you know, a solid three, three and a quarter out of five. Uh, but when the cover blurb says, all you need to know about the summer's <laughs> biggest story, I think that's, that's definitely a bit of a cheat. But if you want to know, you know, what what are these villains? If if I'm being, picking up Batman seventy five, this is my first Batman comic, and I see these other villains in the background. Does this does this uh, story, Batman Secret Files, does this comic book basically kind of give you an idea of these villains, what their motif is, what they're about, what they're like? Yeah, I think it accomplishes that. So it, I'm somewhere in the middle. It, it, it certainly was was uh, a bit of a hard sell, and, and, and a shame on them for, with respect to the marketing. I will grant you that. City of Bane tie-in, certainly not. But uh, uh, if you said um, Batman Villain Special Number Two or something, you know, <laughs> I think uh, that th- th- that would be a much much better title for the book. Sure thing. And uh, I, I really appreciate that both of you have alternate perspectives. That's a really good uh, discussion. I think. So that brings us to the end of our review spotlight. Sorry we've took so long. Although you should check out Red Hood Outlaws. I, I quite enjoy that. I really like seeing the team back together again. I agree. Um, I, I was reading it and I was like, there's no way this story can wrap up in a single issue, even an oversight. And he did, but my goodness, it was quite a ride. Yeah, it was quite enjoyable. Um, yes. Chris, did you have any you wanted to highlight before you rewrapped up? No, but I, I I will say this. I don't want to get you know off off the Batman track though. But uh, I I am really digging Wonder Twins a lot. Uh, you did mention Dial H. I thought uh, that was that's a good ongoing as well. And I'm really digging uh, Jimmy Olsen and Lois Lane right now. So I think those are things to really watch out for. I, those those really uh, exceeded my expectations on on both of those two books. Yeah, and I I always bring this up on the podcast, but DC's really doing a good job of offering different flavors for different types of people. I don't get the sense that there's a single DC reader who wants to read every DC comic, and I think that's good, having a lot of different people reading a lot of different books. Um, So, um, let me take this uh, chance to thank all our patrons who contribute to the site. Um, If you want to get access to exclusive podcasts and... um, you'll get uh, the opportunity to have an extra entry in our giveaway on the Discord server, which is a, a dual plug both for our Patreon and for our Discord server, where we have a lot of great uh, conversations, and you can comment on the episode either on the website, batmanuniverse.net, or on our Discord, where we have uh, a really great community of people who are very thoughtful and passionate about Batman and Batman comics specifically. So, let us move on to the listener questions from last episode. (laughs) Boy, did you get a wrong number. Leave your message at the sound of the shriek. No, please, don't! Okay, so first we got Mattman via Discord as saying, listening now, and I just to say that I agree with Dustin. I've been back and forth on King's run, and at the end of the day, I feel like King is almost using Batman as a stepping stone to Hollywood. A lot of the holes he is leaving, I feel like he may not have the intention of clearing up. 
polar bears in Lost. <laughs> I never watched Lost. I have liked certain arcs in the run, but I feel like the way the story is going is not the way a comic book story should be told. That's fine that King wants to do that, but in making his statement, you have to ask if Batman is being hurt in the process. Ian always makes me respect King's run more, but I really feel like there are some things that he has no intention of finishing bits. And then Tony responded, I feel like King's Batman run is not your average Batman run. It's like going from high school to college. King is making me think. Snyder just kept me waiting for on the edge of my seat. It's very different. One is not inferior to the other. It is more cerebral and poetic. And then Batman responded in kind or responded and said, "I see what you are saying, Tony, but I but it seems very condescending to put it that way. I guess I read literature when I want to read something college based. Comics should be." action-packed and kept on the edge of your seat that's why comic book movies aren't sad dramas they are action films some are blockbusters at least superhero comics there hasn't really been anything super in king's run of batman i seriously think that i want to spend years watching batman be broken i wouldn't be a comic book reader like if king before his run came to me and pitched his whole idea i would tell him to stay the hell away from batman so this was a very nice conversation between Matt and Tony on the Discord, and um, I, I really appreciate both of their perspectives. Um, I tend to agree with Tony that King's providing a different type of Batman experience than you get from either Grant Morrison or Scott Snyder, the, the last two major Batman writers. Um, Scott Snyder's repeatedly described what he does as sort of the summer blockbuster, um, Tom King is very much going for a sort of very melancholy character piece. Now, um, King has recently said on the podcast that I've mentioned several times that he really feels that he does his best work on 12-issue miniseries. And I have been saying this for years. Um, I, I love King's uh, Batman run, but I really feel that some of the stuff um, wasn't able to land with the same kind of emotional power that he's able to get when he's working on these sort of very constrained, very limited 12-issue runs. He, he really thinks through every issue, puts all the pieces together. Now, I think towards the end of the run that we're getting to now, you're starting to see how he's able to put all the pieces together. But when you're delaying the reveal from originally 100 issues, but now it's 85 issues, plus the 12-issue miniseries of Batman Catwoman, plus the three annuals that King has written... Um, that's a heck of a long time to wait. So I hope, and I think that King is planning this, that he will mostly focus on 12-issue miniseries. Um, and I think we'll look back on this Batman run as being quite um, challenging and interesting and, for at least Stephanie, very moving with regards to Batman Catwoman. But it's also very flawed. I'll freely admit that. I just think that the flaws are as interesting as other writers more... Um, traditional Batman stories. I, I I find thinking about the flaws really gets me thinking about what Batman means to me and what I want to get out of a Batman story. Um, even if it's not what King's providing, fortunately for me, mostly it is what I want. Um, but I, I fully respect that this has been a controversial Batman run, and I hope that you'll stick um, with him till his end with uh, number 85 and then Batman Catwoman. I certainly will be and I know the podcast will be too. 
I just wanted to say, you know, I wanted to circle back to what uh, D- Dustin said on the last podcast. And I, Dustin, if you're listening, forgive me. I don't ex- know exactly what your uh, point was with respect to what Tom King didn't do, but it was something where the reader had to have some type of inference or it was implied or the reader had to figure something out that wasn't clearly stated with respect to the story. And I've kind of resigned to the fate that that's where we are just with uh, writers in general. And I'm going to get on a soapbox a little bit, but you know, back in the day, you know, there was more stricter editorial ship with respect to storytelling and readers. I mean, when you had your stories written by Jerry Conway, uh, Len Wein, even Steve Englehart, it, you, they were clearly told. You you really didn't have to pick up anything with respect to the inference. But once we got to things, and I remember the whole uh, Gail Simone uh, Oracle debacle, Batgirl, where, how did she walk again? We were really, well, she said, well, I told you how she walked again. And no, you really didn't. And it was like, okay, so now I think we're kind of in this um, murky land where we've got some very accomplished writers, and with no slighter respect to Gail Simone, who I, I, I really commend as a writer. I really enjoy her stuff. I think we're also into a part, though, where we don't have editorial ships stepping in with respect to writers just to saying, can I give you a note on this? I, I think writers are, are, have a little more power and exec- exercise more power than they ever have before with respect to the comics. Uh, the, it's a very number-oriented field. It's a very competitive field. But I, I do think uh, the editors – I'd be very surprised to uh, hear an editor's take where uh, they've – kind of pointed out or requested a change with respect to story as, as somebody was telling it. I have enjoyed Tom King's run largely for the most part when uh, it doesn't get murked up with uh, DC mandating certain things with respect to uh, hype and uh, things with Batman uh, number 50 and something being called a wedding issue when there wasn't an actual wedding uh, in a wedding album when there was no actual wedding. I, I thought that that was a very cheap cut. I don't necessarily take uh, think that's Tom King's fault per se, but I, I think we're, we're, we've got a little too much commercialism and we got a little too much of a long leash with editorial ship. And now I'm off my soapbox. So sorry, Ian and Steph, back, back to you. No, that's what we want from our listener comment section. Absolutely. I think one thing I had said in the Discord uh, for this discussion was that I, I think I agree with with Mattman that, that this is a mainstream book, which means this has to to sell well. It has to um, resonate with and, and be accessible to the average Joe who just wants to go pick up a Batman book and see Batman beat up villains. Um, and I, lo- I love the cerebral. It is probably something that is more suited to a miniseries or a maxi or, or an ongoing that isn't a main Batman book. And I hate to say that because I want to see Tom King sell 100K. I really think it's worth it. But I know a lot of people don't. And a lot of people are just buying it because it's Batman and they have to have their collection of Batman be full. <laughs> they might not even read them, which would be sad. But... Well, I'm really, yeah. I'm really looking forward to seeing the sales numbers for number 75 because number 75 is going to be one of those, uh, big, you know, uh, what do they call them? Milestone issues. And I'm hoping that the combination of this is the really fresh and upside down world take. Um, and, and there's a lot of good action. Tony Daniel does a great job of drawing that action. Um, and so I'm really hoping that the last, Let's see, 75 to 85, the last 11 issues of Batman 
will sell that 100k because I think it's worth it. I think this story will be, um, I think this story will pay out. I think people who've been frustrated will find answers. Now, if you're determined to hate it, of course you're going to hate it. Um, and that's mm-hmm. totally you're right. If something doesn't work for you, it's not going to work. And as as you can see with my reaction to Scott Snyder, I, I see what he's doing. It doesn't work for me. So if someone says to, about Tom King's Batman, I see what he's doing. It doesn't work for me. Totally fine. But I hope you'll give it another chance now because we're in the final stretch and it's a crazy ride. <laughs> All right, so our last segment is Monkey Watch, and this came from a question from Batman on the Discord, so thank you for providing that. And our question is, who would you be a henchman for? So, Steph, why don't we start with you? Who would you be a henchman for? And let's keep it Batman-related. Sure, sure. I'm going to be totally boring, and I'll say Catwoman because she doesn't murder people, and I can wear purple, and I can be a kitten, and we can do heists together, like Ocean's Eleven-type cool heists, and I think that would be awesome because we'd probably get to wear pretty dresses and then steal things from rich gentlemen, and it would be great. And then I'd have money for comics. Um, and if I couldn't have Catwoman, I wouldn't want to be a henchman for her, but I'd want to partner up with Carpenter because... Women Engineer Solidarity, sweet, and I'd get to wear, if I can't wear pretty diamonds, then at least I can wear overalls and hammer things and saw things and create death traps for people. I like your picks. (laughs) All right, Chris, what would you do? Well, I, perhaps I gave this a little too much thought. Let's get this out of the way. I, I have to ask myself, who would I not want to be a henchman for? Okay, so who would I not want That's to be important. a henchman for? That's important. You yeah, have to so, have moral standards. <laughs> right. So it's not going to be the Joker because if you get on the wrong side of him, you're, you're going to be dead and you're going to get some ghastly fate. Mm-hmm. You're gonna, and he's going to throw you in an incinerator, give you an exploding cigar. It's, it's bad news. Uh, Rasha Ghoul, that's one you don't want to be a henchman for. You're going to be out in the desert. You're going to be hauling a bunch of heavy stuff. It's going to be bad. You're going to throw your back out and you've got to be a top physical condition at all times and be this assassin. I like the assassin part, but I don't like hauling uh, a lot of heavy stuff out in the uh, desert and stuff looking for a Lazarus pit. That, that's 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 not going to work, and you know you're, you're probably going to have to step on some kind of a cyanide capsule if if you if you get caught. So that that's that's a bad gig. Uh, now here we go to some uh, more of my possibilities with Harley Quinn. I think that's going to be fun because I think she's going to. T- order takeout food a lot of times and that's going to be that's 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 pretty good you're going to be pretty well fed because harley's going to be you know just kind of lounging around you know between her jobs and then uh you know let's order pizza hey that sounds like a fun time you know so that's that's going to be good so you're going to get some good pizza nights every now and then uh poison ivy i would not want to (laughs) i I, i'm i'm down with the cause but i don't think i'm down with the getting drugged part so i I don't think you know (laughs) while getting a kiss is very tempting I, i i i'm a little leery about being like some kind of a zombified kind of guy that doesn't have my own free will. I, I will. I will help her with something. If you were a woman, would you want to? Ah, she did that it some to fun. Catwoman and Hush too. Yeah, that's true. 
So, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I'd be down with the cause if it was for some environmental action, be it male or female. Yeah, I, I don't think it would matter. So, yeah. So then I, I'm, I'm down with Catwoman. Okay. So Catwoman, yeah, I think that's probably the best part, you know, because as a henchman, uh, I don't, she's going to get me into the place. And I, it's basically you're just going to do some heavy uh, lifting to an extent. You know, you're going to have to haul some loot, but it's going to be pretty light stuff because it's going to be jewelry. I think the heaviest thing you're going to have to haul is uh, Batman if she knocks them out so that's not going to be too bad so that's not going to be too bad of a thing now here's the thing where it gets a little murky for me uh with catwoman is my answer that said uh also points to consider now if you're a 60s tv henchman who do you want to be so again you have to have catwoman the the the, the pro is uh you tend to win the, the fight the first round because uh batman and robin get knocked out so you you tend to win the first round but in the second round you know you're going to get the crap beat out of you so that's just a given so that's sort of you, you kind of you kind of break even and sort of times too you have to ask what you're what you're wearing uh the joker has the caps uh the the catwoman villains have the striped shirts with the with the uh uh earmuff type uh winter caps on so that's i don't know if i look good in stripes but you but you're hanging out with julie newmar or eartha kitt so that's not too bad so that's not too bad. Um, and then the other thing to consider is, you know, being a henchman, let's say if you were in the uh, golden or silver age when you're working for a dude like, you know, uh, Signal Man or Joker or uh, 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 Polka Dot Man, Th- those guys, if you look at the old henchmen back in the day, they put up a pretty good fight. They could still knock out Batman and Robin, and they're wearing suits. You get a suit with the gig because all the villains and the henchmen back in the day, they're wearing suits, man. They got like purple suits and they got dark suits and they're wearing ties. I mean, henchmen wearing ties? That's unheard of today. But now, back then, that's that's not too bad. At least you're looking pretty sharp if you were a henchman uh, in the uh, Golden and uh, Silver Age stories. Yeah, you're not looking too bad there. And you, you could, you, you were a decent fighter. I mean, you, you, there were some times where you could take out Batman and Robin back in the day. So if I had to pick one, it's definitely Catwoman, and I, I will go with present day. But I, I wanted to cover all the bases and, and, and put out my logic with that. Ian, you, what is your choice? Well, I think that we lucked out with getting Chris as our guest host on this <laughs> one. Definitely, um, uh, I. I put some thought, but definitely not quite as much thought as Chris. Um, I never would henchman for the Joker. If you've ever read the underrated um, series Manhunter by Mark Andreko starring Kate Spencer. Oh, excellent. Excellent series. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of her, her, her tech guy, you know, her Edna Mode from The Incredibles is a former henchman for all the villains. And his last gig was the Joker. And that's why you should never be a henchman for the Joker, because <laughs> everyone he cares about gets killed by the Joker. So... Don't do it. Um, ditto for Black Mask. I also hate the Black Mask because he's a terrible character who kills Stephanie Brown, so no. Um, in a related note, I'm tempted to say the Clue Master um, because then I'd at least get a chance to face the spoiler, but he tends to kill his own henchmen as well, and he's also super incompetent, so I'll probably lose before I get paid. <laughs> I might I might want to say Aiko Hasegawa, who is uh, one of the heads of the Japanese crime mob. I don't know if they're specifically Yakuza, but it is the Japanese crime mob in um, Gotham from the New 52 Catwoman run by Genevieve Valentine. Really excellent run. Um, she's kind of an anti-hero, though, so I'm not sure that would count. And she also killed a bunch of her own people. Uh, there's kind of a theme with villains and killing their, their henchmen. Um, uh, that was in vengeance for her father uh, to stop a gang war. 
by the way. So there was a motivation. She wasn't just killing people who'd failed her. But it was still very bloody. Um, I ended up saying maybe Selena Kyle. Um, I'm going to say from Valentine's Run. Even though she did actually kill her own cousin. Um, because Black Mask maneuvered her into that position. Otherwise she would have lost control of her family. And there would have been a very bloody gang war. Um, I think it's really funny that all of us sort of ended up with Catwoman because we know she treats her people the best possible way. You know, I did have one more that I forgot, which was Condiment King, because I was thinking Ah, he doesn't actually kill people, and that way I can always have fry sauce whenever I go out with the guys. (laughs) Oh, that's a great call. (laughs) So there you have it. Thank you, Batman, for asking for Monkey Watch. Who would you henchman for? You have a bunch of Catwoman henchmen here, and maybe a condiment king. Condiment king. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that'll wrap it up for us. This has been uh, the Batman U.S. Comics Podcast. Please feel free to subscribe. Leave us a four-star review on iTunes. And uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks with our next reviews and news for all the comics Batman-related stuff. This is Ian. This is Dev. And this is Chris. Thanks for listening. <laughs>